This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, this is Lou Mangello from WDW Radio. And now when I'm not at Walt Disney World or sharing my passion for Disney World or eating, I am stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to Sadie Hawkins Day. I am so excited. Gertrude has been completely ignoring me today, so you know what that means. Yeah, probably date night for old Doug. I'll follow up with her later, but on today's show, we're making money talking about designing your life. How do you create a life that matches your goals? Say hello to the team behind Lifestyle Builders, Tom and Ariana Sylvester. Before that, what happens when big companies like Xerox and HP merge? We'll talk about that possibility and throw out a Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener and... Show off some of my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who probably never got asked out to a Sadie Hawkins dance because they ain't players like me, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. I will have you know that at the Sadie Hawkins dance at Hackett Catholic High School in Kalamazoo, Kristen Smith and I had a fantastic time, had a great, great time. In fact, she not only asked me to the dance, OG, she drove the car in her dress. So you did have a somebody ask you out on a I, Sadie Hawkins dance. Even me. How about that? Nerdy old me. How about you? Uh, you don't get a lot of interest when you're walking around with a bag on your head. It's, it's so they don't know what they're working with. So weird how that works. With a bag over your head, you barely know what you're working with. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, Miserable Dates for the Win. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Welcome back to another Wednesday. Time is just flying by. Can you believe that there is literally only 50 days, 45 days left in the decade? I had to write a check yesterday to, to a dishwasher repair guy. Ah. Uh. Yes. And so I pulled out Venmo the, or it doesn't doesn't count. Venmo for or or that's yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's like you're like I'm I'll, sorry, I'll, don't I'll take pay Venmo. You t- you don't take Venmo, get out of here. Mm-hmm. That's it. I had to give this guy a check and uh I actually wrote it out and when I put the date on it, all I could keep thinking was, are you kidding me? Yeah. Last month and a half of 2019. Wow. Last month and a half of the decade. 
you know what you got to pack in? Got to try to pack in a lot of knowledge these last six weeks. Big thanks to Skillshare for supporting Stacky Benjamin. Skillshare is offering Stacky Benjamin's listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com forward slash SB. Big thanks also to Cabbage for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Get the money you need to run your small business at Cabbage.com and use the code SB to get $100 credit on your first loan installment. Offer ends November 30th. Must take a $5,000 loan to qualify. Terms and conditions apply. All right. We got business owners out of the way. We got people that want to bathe in classes taken care of. We got a great show. We're going to design a life today. Tom and Ariana Sylvester. You know what I like about these guys? I like the fact that they talk about milestones. Too many people, too many financial books I read say, write down your goals. But then, oh, gee, they never talk about how do we set up these milestones about how to get there. Tom and Ariana, one of the two people I really like because of the fact that that's all they talk about. It's not about setting out your goals. It's about then tracking the actual highway to that goal. One of the things that I've been thinking about lately is our planning process. One of the pieces of that is that we want to talk to people every six months. And I like to play with timeframes when I use dialogue to explain things to people. And and we were talking about how we're going to meet every six months for the next 20 years. And that seems like a really long time. And pardon me, it sounds like I'm talking through a straw because you know my daughter has a cold, which means you have I cold. have a cold. But then I kind of reframed that and said, all right, if we spend an hour on your financial plan every six months for the next 20 years, that's 40 hours. That's just like literally one week of work. That's all we're doing. One week of work over the next, you know, to make sure the next 20 years. And you think of these big, long, you know, these big, giant financial planning goals in our case. Like, how do I get to 3 million? I've got 100,000. It's not about how to get to 3 million. It's how do you get from 100,000 to 150,000 by the end of this year? You have to break that down. Otherwise, it seems too incomprehensible. Sure. Yeah. It's like that. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You don't eat elephant because they're endangered jack wagon. Back away from the elephant, my friend. We got a great show. Got an elephant of a show today, huh? Huh? We got Tom and Ariana Sylvester, but first we have some big headlines. So let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. We recorded this a few days before and this news is moving quickly. So there's probably more news out by the time this reaches your ears. However, this comes to us from Bloomberg. Hewlett Packard, HP, confirms Xerox takeover offer, but isn't ready to say yes. HP Inc. confirmed that Xerox Holdings Corp. has made a takeover offer, a potential deal between two iconic names and technology that would reshape the printing industry. We've had conversations with Xerox Holding Corporation from time to time about a potential business combination. The Palo Alto, California-based company said last Wednesday in a statement, we received a proposal transmitted Tuesday of last week. We have a record of taking action if there is a better path forward and we'll continue to act with deliberation, discipline, and an eye toward what's in the best interest of all of our shareholders. Citigroup has agreed to provide Xerox financing to swallow HP, person familiar with the matter said. Company would likely need to take on at least $20 billion of debt to close the deal, which was reported earlier by the Wall Street Journal. HP's market cap was about $27.3 billion, and Xerox's was $8 billion. And people think getting married to somebody with student loans is tough. <laughs> 
I gotta How take, about this partnership? Uh, twenty billion. You're gonna you're gonna absorb twenty billion. They, uh, twenty billion is your wedding cost. Exactly. <laughs> they ran through their financial plan before they uh, decided to get hitched. I want to talk about a few things about this, regardless of what happens, because I think when a merger of this stature with two names people have heard of before comes around, it's a good opportunity for us to talk about how these things work, OG. First of all, when you look at the merger, initially, usually the acquiring company, the stock goes down. If it's a, if it's a stock offer and the acquired company stock goes through the roof, because everybody thinks that they can cash in and maybe get a nice big bump payout. In this case, by the way, both company stocks went up because this offer is stock and cash that Xerox is is offering. But when both companies go up, my understanding is that kind of means that Wall Street thinks this might be a good idea. I think for the company that's being acquired, it makes sense to have a higher price because otherwise, what would be the value in the in the purchase, in right? The deal. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trading at, let's say, $100 a share right now. If you're going to buy the company, you have to buy them out of all their shares. That's basically what you're doing, right? You have to say you have 100 million shares outstanding. They're trading at $100 a share right now. We'll give you 120 if we can take all the rest. And, and that's you're kind of providing a future value of the cash flows. That's, that's kind of how you're thinking about it, I suppose. But uh, I think of it from the perspective of the argument that people say, like, I'm going to buy this company. It's going to be around forever. And this is a great example. Xerox, HP. Well, HP in and of itself has been bought and sold about 13 times in the sure. last well, two decades, and, I think. And in fairness, too, these are the, quote, legacy parts of both these companies. You know, the software division's been spun off on Xerox. Their high-flying division has been sold off. This is the copiers it's and the, the copy computers. machine and the sales guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Got it. But you think about it, these companies have been around for a really long time might be from the perspective of they need to merge to stay competitive. They might have to be together to to stay relevant. So this is why diversification helps. Well, there is no such thing as I always love it when people go this this I'm going to hold this forever. You're buying individual stocks, you have to continually weed the garden. Well, even Jeff Bezos has said that he thinks in 20 years Amazon won't be a thing, which is hard to comprehend. The other thing I wanted to talk about was what happens if you own these companies. So if you own shares in HP and this thing goes through, one day, if you don't pay attention, my understanding is your shares disappear and you'll have some cash in your account that wasn't there before. And you'll have some shares of Xerox in your account that you're going to be asking, how the heck did I get these? That's right. So the board will decide whether or not they want to accept the offer, have a counter offer. And once they settle on it, then everybody has to vote. The reality is is that unless you're Warren Buffett and you own 10% of the company, your vote really doesn't count a lot, but it counts. You know, you exercise your your right to make an opinion about this. The fund managers, the index funds that hold positions, the individuals that hold large positions, they'll make a vote, then it passes. And once it passes, then they have a settlement date or a closing date, just like you have a closing date on your house. And at that point in time, then that transaction occurs. So as you get closer and closer, for those of you that are trying to arbitrage this, as you get closer and closer to this transaction happening, then the value of that acquired company's stock gets closer and closer to the actual price of the deal. You know, when you're when it just announced last week, I don't know the prices, but you know, it might have said, today you're trading at 100, we'll buy you for 120. Well, today it might have gone from 100 to 110. 
But as you go like the day before, it's going to be like 119,999. <laughs> you know, it's going to be right there because there's no time value of arbitrage there. So, but you're right. One day the transaction will consummate. Your HP shares will cease to exist. Your Xerox shares will will appear plus a little bit of cash, whatever the deal works out. And, uh, and off you go. The only other thing that I would point out about mergers in the publicly traded market is as it relates to the tax implications. You should have really good records of this when it comes time to sell your future Xerox shares. Oh, great point. Because you're not going to really have a cost basis. You're going to have to figure out what that is based on what you originally paid HP for, what you bought out for Xerox, and so on and so forth. And and uh, at the end of the year, whenever this happens or whenever any merger happens, you usually get a tax letter that says, here's how we view this transaction from a tax standpoint. Is it all dividend? Is it all capital gains? You know, that sort of thing. So just kind of have your antenna up a little bit. If you hear about a company that you own that's merging or merged into another company because there may be some unique tax pieces associated with that transaction for you. Our next headline comes to us from Business Insider, and it turns out, OG, the jig is up. Actually, that's what the headline reads, but you know what I'm talking about. Robinhood says it's closed the infinite leverage loophole that allowed users to build positions worth millions. This is fantastic. I love this. That's uh, right. This is written by Ben Wink. Ben writes, Robinhood's infinite leverage loophole has been closed and accounts using the glitch have been suspended, a company spokesperson said Thursday. A glitch in Robinhood's trading app allowed users to trade with unlimited amounts of borrowed cash, with one trader amassing turning a $3,000 deposit into a more than $1.7 billion position. $1.7 billion? One point seven billion, according to this piece, with wow. three thousand bucks. I didn't either. We recently identified a small number of accounts engaging in problematic trading activity in our platform. Robin and spokesperson Lavinia Carico said in an emailed statement, "We've quickly restricted these accounts and made a permanent update to our systems intended to prevent anyone from engaging in this pattern of trades." The typically unauthorized trade involves Robinhood Gold users selling call options with money borrowed through the platform. The app then incorrectly added the value of the sold options to users' buying power, allowing them to repeat the trade with increased capital. (laughs) Traders then repeated the cycle with no clear limit as to how much the glitch could be exploited. A member of the Wall Street Bets subreddit discovered the hack in late October using a $2,000 deposit to trade $50,000 worth of Apple put options. The trader lost $48,000 when his options expired worthless, and a video of his reaction grew massively popular among Wall Street Bets members. Dude lost $48,000. Let's talk about this because there's two stories here. Story number one is this idea of leverage. Can you explain to our lovely family here, OG, just why using leverage might not be in your best interest? It's no different than borrowing money to buy a house, you know, 120% mortgage. It's the same deal. It's the same pitfalls that could happen when it comes to the stock market. Only your house doesn't change value every nanosecond. Your stock prices do. So uh, investment companies and brokerage houses will allow you to buy more stuff based on the value of the stuff you already own. So if you have a $100,000 stock position, and you want to go buy another $50,000 worth of stock, you can. And uh, that's called margin. And you pay a little bit of interest on that. 
and it all works great if the market goes straight up. It works not so great if the market goes straight down. Because you, you get this thing called a margin call. Sure. If all of a sudden you owed the bank too much money, just like with your credit cards, somebody calls you. The difference is, is that in your investment account, they call you and you literally have two days to settle it up. If you don't, then they just sell your stuff. And then you get in really, really big trouble with that investment company. They don't let you do that anymore. What these guys were doing and gals was even worse is that they were using a leverage, an already leveraged product to leverage more, more leverage. <laughs> so so y- you can also buy on the open market bets on the future when they're called options. And you can say, well, I think the market's going to go up or I think the market's going to go down over this period of time. And rather than owning the stock and watching it do its thing, you can buy buy an option on that. And usually those are 20 or 30 to one in terms of their pricing as well. So you can see how this could scale pretty quickly. Now, if you're right, you're right by an order of magnitude of a thousand X, which is awesome. And if you're wrong, you're also wrong by that same order of magnitude. Well, and that's, that's why I was thinking, and I asked our friend Chelsea Brennan, when she and I spoke about the same question, like, what would you, if you were going to do this and don't get me wrong, I don't think either you or I would do this because a, One of us wouldn't. Well, number one, you read further down. You didn't have to read about this. You also have a fraud problem going on here, right? Oh yeah, yeah. This is this is securities fraud. Yes, yes, yeah. So so there's that. Yeah, yeah. So there's a chance that you engage in this behavior. It's also illegal, regardless of the whole Robin Hood thing, which we'll get into in a minute. But if you were going to do this, I think I'd buy stuff that's more conservative to like lock in easy gains using somebody else's money and skim off the extra. Like you remember the real like office space, like just take the, like the rounding of the, like the pennies. You're not about trying to make $10 million in a day. You're just, you just want to make a few hundred bucks every day. Yeah. Round off the penny, buy some treasuries with this thing and then lock in, lock in a, 4% 4% interest rate on a million dollars that isn't mine or 1.7 billion that isn't mine. That like, actually, if you did that, that would be great, right? You buy up like $10 billion worth of treasuries that pay daily interest or something. <laughs> you, just, you just need like one day's worth of interest. You're like, and I'm done. Yes. Find something that pays daily and just skim it and then give the money back. Go Robin Hood. Here's your money. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. See, I would do wait that. For the knock on the door from the FBI and, and I'm gone. The SEC, yeah. or you just leave Belize. Oh, like, good point. I'm, I didn't can't even, get me if I'm snorkeling. I didn't. Think international about- <laughs> waters can't touch me. I live in international waters. <laughs> live on some platform in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, yeah. Oil riggers. Besides, oil besides that, everything else would be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to buy a big boat with a helicopter. I'd have tons of money. Oh, that's horrible. Okay, let's talk about this too. We've already done stories about the race to zero, right? We did this on Monday. All these fees going to zero and Robinhood's big claim to fame is zero fee. Now Robinhood again. Remember remember Robinhood's last thing where they had this SIP? What could go wrong because you have this high interest savings account, quote, that's backed by the SIPC and then SIPC turned them in? Yeah. SIPC actually reported them because the claims weren't at all accurate. Like how many times can Robinhood have something go wrong before people finally go, Hey, Schwab's free too. And they've got a bunch of tools and they don't seem to have these newsworthy things about people exploiting their platform in weird ways. I just kind of wonder the the grace that's been given to 
many of these companies from a startup standpoint by the regulatory agencies. You know, imagine if a company like Schwab or Fidelity or TD Ameritrade did had something like this happen. It would be so crazy, right? There would be fines and all that sort of stuff. But it feels like because they're disrupting and because they're a new company, they're like, eh, eh, kids are going to be kids. You know, it's like, <laughs> but it's still really bad. You know, the betterment thing about, yeah, we just locked down your account so you we can did, trade. That's right. So it's like, what the hell? <laughs> no, that's not a thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, we did it. So what are you going to do about it? It's like, wow. And what did it, what happened with that? Nothing. Nothing, Nothing. happened. You know, Robin Hood goes, we're going to give you 3% guaranteed. It's backed by the government. The government's like, no, it's not. Like, oh, okay. Uh... Scratch that. Uh, next but anyways, thing. So about the 4,000 emails or 400 million emails we just got for our marketing campaign, I guess I guess we'll keep those. Yeah. Who, <laughs> who did due diligence on that? And by the way, all the bloggers who were passing this stuff on so they could get some free stuff from, from Robinhood, that oh, made yeah. me even sick around the blogging community going, wow, really? You guys do a bunch of due diligence before you start passing this crap around. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, you know what else is amazing is how hard it is to start your small business. Super or amazing. Running. Or to keep your business running. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's usually not hard, by the way, because of the fact that you're failing. It's difficult because you're succeeding and you're growing fast and a bank wants uh, 16 quarts of blood before they give you any money. They want to tie everything to it. And that's where cabbage comes in. Managing inventory, covering payroll, doing 100 things before lunch, just an average day when you own a small business and your time's valuable, getting that money you need shouldn't take up all of it. And that's why Cabbage created a simple, modern way for businesses to access up to $250,000 of credit. Cabbage's application process is online, so I don't have to go get all dressed up for a banker. By the way, the banker who's not even going to make the decision, OG, not going to make the decision, but I got to get all dressed up, got to look the part, got to walk in there. None of that. With Cabbage, stay in your jammies, request your money. <laughs> Takes just minutes to complete the application and get a decision. And if your business qualifies, you can access the amount you need right now and withdraw more funds whenever you need the extra capital. Cabbage has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and they provided over 185,000 small businesses with access to funding. So get the money you need to run your small business today. Head to cabbage.com, put in code SB, and they're going to give you $100 credit on your first loan statement. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E.com. Offer ends November 30th, 2019. Here's the fine print, OG. Must Whenever you're dealing with banks and lenders, must take a minimum $5,000 loan to qualify. Credit line subject to review and change. Individual requests for capital or separate installment loans issued by Celtic Bank member FDIC. How about that? I think the big lesson here, number one, is uh, even if you find a loophole that allows you to trade somebody else's money, don't do it. Might be a bad idea. It's called fraud. Fun to watch from the sidelines, though. Very fun. This last week was a good time with that. And then second, might not be a good time if you're working for HP or Xerox right now, but if you have stock in either one of these companies, there's a lot more news to come. Well, I'm so excited, OG, because we talk all the time about beginning with the end in mind when it comes to your goals. 
But we don't talk enough, I think, about this idea of milestones and tracking whether you're ahead or behind. That's why when I picked up Tom and Ariana Sylvester's new book, Lifestyle Builders, I thought this is finally a book that focuses on not just the dream. I read so many financial books that say, lay out your goals, lay out your goals. Okay. And then what do I do with them? Well, Tom and Ariana don't stop there. They dig into exactly how to reconfigure your life to get what you want for yourself. So whether you're somebody who's thinking about making the jump to entrepreneurship, somebody who's interested in financial independence at an early age, whatever it is, you're going to need a roadmap to get there. Tom and Ariana Sylvester just wrote a book about that and frankly have lived it themselves. Let's say hi. Coming down to the basement, Tom and Ariana Sylvester. And here they are, the dynamic duo themselves, on their rock and roll book tour, Tom and Ariana Sylvester. How are you guys? We're great. How are you? Are you sick of talking about lifestyle builders yet or no? Not yet, surprisingly. (laughs) That's Ariana's opinion. For me, I got to remind myself because we wrote the book a year ago and we had it. And then the whole last year, we got to remember that like, hey... We've seen it the whole last year, but people are seeing it for the first time. Mm. Right. Well, so you kind of feed off that then, I would think, right? Feed off people's enthusiasm and their excitement. That's got to be invigorating. Yeah. I think I'm excited because it's finally out. Like the whole time we've we've been talking about it, it's kind of been like the the leading up to it's coming. I swear it's coming. So now that it's out, I'm like, it's here. Yay. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I was watching you, Ariana, on a video as you're walking through your local Barnes & Noble and there you are. It, just seeing the look on your face, that, that had to be a cool moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure everyone in that bookstore thought I was a crazy person, but it's totally fine. Well, let's dig in, guys. So to start off, I want to start with your personal stories because I find this so fascinating. Because, you know, people see people that are experts in their field like you guys are. You're coaching other people. But your starting out point is like everybody else's starting out point. Which one of you want to be a marine biologist? That was me. Why marine biologist? Because you live close to one of the Great Lakes or or why? No, I actually don't know. why. I was one of those kids who had weird obsessions like pop out of nowhere. So for some reason, I zeroed in on whales and I was obsessed with whales. And I had whale toys and I would play with them and give them names. And like they had families and I had a whale mobile and I painted orcas at art class. Like I don't know where the obsession came from. But I was obsessed with whales. It's a good thing I didn't know this early on. It's a great thing you do. I was also randomly obsessed with Elvis Presley and Michael Jackson. So I don't know what to tell you. But whales. So that's where the marine biology came from was because of my obsession with whales. Those guys are a couple whales in the music industry. I don't know. That's very true. Maybe. Man, that was smooth. That <laughs> was I smooth, love it. Joe. Every once in a while, I get a transition right. Like, this is this is the day. This is it. I'm going to use that going forward. <laughs> so where did that go? Did you end up going to college for marine biology? No, no, no. Because at some point I I figured out in my obsession with animals that whales live in oceans and oceans happen to be incredibly large bodies of water with a lot of scary things living in them. And that to be a marine biologist, you have to do a lot of being in boats out what, in the middle of nowhere. What extensive research told you that? <laughs> <laughs> Probably a library book report that I had to do right. on whales for school. I could see Ariana at the library going, oh, shit. <laughs> What was, what was I, I thinking? thinking? <laughs> uh, so how did that morph then? 
I had always loved animals in general. So when I figured out like, not so much on the ocean side, let's shift just into generic animals on land. I grew up on a small farm. I had cats and dogs and we had goats and cows and chickens and ducks. So that is why the shift went from marine biology into zoology. And I just had a general love of all things animal. And this is when the student loans came in. Yeah. Everyone told me, follow your passion. You love animals. Go for zoology. And I was like, great. Okay. And then four years into college realized, oh, I don't actually know what I'm going to do with that. And I have maxed out on all my student loans because I didn't make my parents made too much money to get a lot of help with funding for college, but they also didn't pay for my college. So I had to pay for it all with student loans. And about how much money was that? Oh, gosh, I think I was somewhere in the 50s. I think you were like 55. Yeah. Yeah. Ended up after. And that was with a scholarship, too. Oh, wow. That I got. So. Okay. So now we're going to do the like, if we had like great effects, we go blah, 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 someplace else in a a place not so far away. Tom Sylvester, not obsessed with zoology. What were you doing? No, I had a computer science degree. So I was the the nerdy kid sitting on my computer and uh, programming. Fantastic. Where did you get your love of computers? So funny story, I actually had a mono when I was in eighth grade and I like missed a whole year of school. That's and, not uh, funny. Had, no. Well, <laughs> touche. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we actually had just gotten a computer and just got America Online. And so I was spending my days on the computer and I just got really interested in how the computer worked and that I've type of thing. never heard of anyone refer to it by its full name, by the way. Usually yeah, it's called AOL. That's old school. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's how you can tell just how and, old uh, Tom is. Is because he calls it America Online. In fact, <laughs> I bet at your desk back home, you still have all those CDs, don't you? Oh, yeah. You know, I'm still waiting to cash in my hours. <laughs> when they come back. Yeah, right. there you go. Yeah. So anyway, so you're dug into America Online. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of rolled into, well, what am I going to do for a career? Well, let me go to college for computer science. It seems like it's a good degree. And uh, so that was the route I went. And did you have student loans? Yeah, I had a little over 20000 so then what's that phrase from that show? So one day when this lady meets this fellow, <laughs> now you've got I have no idea. You've no idea with that reference? No. And they knew that it m- must be much more than a hunch that this group. Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> now I know. The Brady the Bunch. Yes. <laughs> I thought for a second I was talking to our friend Paula Pant. Well, Joe, you didn't sing it. Well, if I sang it, you clearly <laughs> wouldn't have known what it was. <laughs> then, so the two of you end up married and now you've got. in student loans. Yep. Tom, did you end up in the computer industry? I did. Yep. Software developer. Yeah. And Ariana, did you end up in zoology? Sort of. You could say I ended up working at an animal shelter. So Ariana's putting it nicely. She was working at an animal shelter for minimum wage, and it took her about three weeks out of the month to have her paycheck pay for her student loans. Yep. So you did yep. the you did the math on the student loans. He did. Absolutely. Yeah. So three out of four. I'm looking at it and I'm like how many weeks do you have to work just to pay the student loans? And we came back and I'm like, what would you do? Like, I would be living with my parents. Yeah. This is interesting. I want to stop here and this is not where we want to end up, but I think it's important. I had a mentor early in my career when I owned my financial planning business who said, what does it cost to put the lights on every day? And it was amazing how brilliant I thought that question was, which if you back away for a second, you think about it, that's like the most obvious thing. What does it cost you? in hours of your life to make this happen. And for you guys, this isn't even to sustain your lifestyle. This is just to repay the loan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what happened next? Because at some point, you guys have this powwow where you decide to go a different way. 
yeah, as we were approaching graduation, I just looked at what we had ahead and I was like, okay, we've got all this student loan debt. We had credit card debt. Neither of us had jobs lined up coming out of school. And I was like, this is not a good path to be on. I probably should have figured that out like four years before we would have been in a much better spot. <laughs> I think, I think there's um, a lot of people listening that feel the same way. They're like, yeah, exactly. had I known you then, right? <laughs> and so um, basically I set a goal to retire by 35. To me, I'll just clarify what retirement, it basically meant financial freedom. We wanted to have the ability and have options to not have to be a slave to a job and to not have to have this debt carry over us the rest of our lives. This is really what the whole Lifestyle Builders book and frankly, your brand is all about building that lifestyle from the ground up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what it really comes down to is, is being intentional. And for most of us, and if you guys hear our story, this is how most people think. It's like, well, let me just think forward in like the next step. And the big thing that we like to talk about is going back to like Stephen Covey, start with the end in mind and then work backwards so that we can be intentional about what we do and not wake up that one day being like, oh man, I wish I would have known that before. It's funny. People have listened to our show for a long time are laughing right now because I use that reference constantly. And they're like, <laughs> no wonder Tom and Joe like each other so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to talk about a couple, though, because, you know, many of the people listening might be planning with somebody else. Ariana, was this Tom's madcap idea that you're going to retire at 35 or was this both of you together? Nope. That was totally a madcap idea. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't know where it came from at the time. And I kind of just... Sh- set it aside as like another one of Tom's crazy ideas. Like just let him go with it. I'm on the life path like this. I'm, I'm in the now. This is what's happening. Yeah. So you're like, whatever, it'll go away. We'll just take two aspirin, <laughs> call me in the morning, that kind of thing. When did, when did the light bulb come on then for you? The light bulb came on for me when Tom did something totally out of character and completely risky, which was very unlike him. He spent about $8,000 on a real estate training without consulting me first. And it was probably six months after we purchased our home and about nine months before we were supposed to get married. And I also did it on two high interest credit cards yes, because <laughs> we didn't have any money at that point. <laughs> and I think so. I, that for me was where the light bulb went off because for him to do something like that was just completely out of character. And we had to have some really tough conversations where that was where the light bulb was like, Oh, this, there's a reason behind it. Like there was a specific reason he did that, not just being crazy and spending our money for no reason. Yeah. Cause I think Ariana, the appropriate two words would have been goodbye, dude. <laughs> <laughs> right. It wasn't far off. <laughs> <laughs> but so then what you guys started doing this together. We started off with some really basic talking about the future. What is it that we want, which is where we figured out we are in the same mind of the destination that we wanted to get. The problem was we were not in the same mind of the paths to get there. So for us, it was a lot of talking about, okay, here's the goal. How do we figure out how to get on the same page for the steps we're going to take to reach that goal together? So a lot of goal planning, a lot of shifting framework. Let's dive in a little bit. Uh, At the beginning of your book, you talk about exactly what you were referring to, which is getting on the same page and how to figure out what the destination is. You talk a lot about the destination. I want to kind of speed past that part because we talk about that a lot here. But I do want to give people an analogy I really like that you use called your GPS analogy. Yeah, well, basically, uh, I'm terrible at trying to get to places and Ariana loves using a map and I can't use a map because because you're a dude. Set the st- yeah. Cause I'm a dude because <laughs> I'll set the starting point where we're at in the destination. But if I don't have feedback along the way, I'm going to get way off course and I don't know I'm off course until I'm in like Indiana and I'm going to California. 
So to us, the GPS, the beauty of it is it constantly checks in and tells you when you're off course. So when we talk about you know, achieving our goals, what we want to do is basically set those check-in points so that we know when we're off and we can adjust back on track. So somebody has a goal, let's say their goal, maybe not even as aggressive as yours is. They want to, in 10 years, go from living on 50,000 to finding a way to do whatever they want to do and do it on 40,000. What are some of the things people need to do to begin making that change? Can you talk me through that? Yeah. One, we know where we're at today, right? We're spending 50,000. Then we know where we want to go. We want to spend 40,000 and we know the time frame 10 years. So that's the critical starting point a lot of people don't have. And now what we have to do is identify those milestones along the way. So one of the milestones might be, all right, well, in order to only spend 40,000, we have to reduce our income so it gets there. So now we start looking for opportunities. Well, how do we do that? Reduce your expenses, you mean? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Reduce the expenses. Yeah. Yeah. So now we start thinking about, well, how do we do that? Well, you know, we pay off this debt or we do these other things. And when we come up with the different things we could do, what we then want to start do is figuring out when those milestones show up on the time frame, because what this then will give us is a roadmap going forward and a focus on one thing at a time. I like the fact that you have these all written down, like step, 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 step. Like this isn't all up in your head. It's all get it down on paper, what the obstacle is, what the milestone is. Yes. Yep. And that's one of the most important things because especially when you're doing this with a spouse, you guys got to get aligned. And far too often we think we're aligned, but when it's on paper and when you actually see it, that's when you see you're not aligned and you can start coming together on what those differences are and get the expectations. I even find doing it by yourself. I mean, just the physical act, and this is where I use paper versus even a computer, Because just the physical act of writing it down and watching myself write this down is like huge solidification in my head. Yeah. Yeah, And I want to jump in just talking about the mindset of it all. I think one of the biggest things people struggle with with goal planning is traditionally you set this big goal at the end and they kind of have like that set it and forget it. It's like, oh, yeah, I want this thing in five years. I'm going to get it. And then they're not breaking it down and setting those milestones or those checkpoints. So they get two years in, they stop and reflect and they're like, huh, I didn't get any closer to that goal. And it's kind of, it's a little bit demoralizing when you keep getting closer and closer, but you aren't seeing any progress towards that thing you said you wanted to do. And worse, when you get to that point, you haven't achieved what you said you wanted. So a lot of goal planning is very, very mental So that's why those milestones are absolutely essential because as you're hitting them, you're getting your progress report and you're seeing that you're getting closer to the thing that you ultimately want to achieve. How close together do you like those milestones to be? We like to target every 90 days. And why is that? Basically, when you have that big goal, 90 days is a good time frame to be able to focus and achieve something significant without being too far to where you get off track. So a big challenge a lot of people have, whether it's their finances or with their goals, is they'll set something annually. Like we get to January 1st, we set your annual resolutions. And then we don't check in on those until next January 1st. And that's when we find that we were very far off. We didn't hit them. Same thing with our finances. If we're only checking in once a year, we don't get the feedback to know when we're off so we can adjust along the way. 90 days gives you four opportunities throughout the year to understand how you're doing towards those goals and to make adjustments. You start then at the back end and work forward then, I would guess, right? Like year by year by year and then quarter by quarter by quarter? Exactly. Yep. It's funny because it kind of reminds me, and I, I don't know, I've always talked to people about looking at your money as if you're a company. 
companies have to report quarterly earnings. This is almost like your own quarterly earnings report, guys. Pretty much. A hundred percent. And it's funny because when we first started doing this, because we have three different businesses, I would start and I was doing like all this consulting for businesses. I was bringing all this stuff that worked for businesses home to our personal life. And Ariana's like, what are you doing? That's business stuff. And if you think about it, the principles are the same. So we've applied a lot of that to our life and it's really helped to get things organized and structured so we can achieve those goals. You make a few points in the book that I want to highlight here, especially when you're planning with other people. But sometimes when you write these goals down, you have some non-negotiables. For me, that was a big one when we started talking about our finances and how we were going to reduce expenses and raise our income to start getting where we wanted to be financially. And one of the biggest things we struggled with was, you know, Tom would just throw ideas out there. And I'm a very emotional person. So for me, it was really hard to separate some of that stuff that we were talking about with money because it was very closely tied to personal. Hmm. So when we, when we were talking about it and he was like, well, what if we sell our house and move into an apartment or a smaller house? And I like vehemently against it. There was a very visceral reaction for me. So one of the things we talk about with people when they're doing goal planning and, you know, trying to talk about the finances and expenses piece is if there are non-negotiables on the table, being very clear and upfront with that with each other, because it's kind of tough to go in and have those conversations if you haven't removed the things that are going to make somebody super emotional and unable to move forward with the conversation. Yeah, because it seems like it'd be, I don't know, it'd be easy to just kind of truck over those and then somebody's secretly angry or not 100% invested if you do that. Yeah, Yeah. well, and you know, like, especially when it comes to finances, what we see happen, like people always joke, they're like, you know, I'm Tom, I'm just like you or Ariana, I'm just like you. And what tends to happen is one person gets the epiphany. They're like, I want to leave my job. I want to achieve financial freedom, whatever it is. And they go all in. They're like, we're going to cut all the expenses and we're going to sell our house. Like I was that person. (laughs) And we're going to live in a tent. Yeah. And the other person's like, no, I don't want any of that at all. And so what we want to do is find that happy medium because we want to spend on the things we enjoy. And for Ariana, it was clearly the house. But then we want to cut back on all the other stuff that we're spending on that doesn't matter. That's the challenge that a lot of people have is they go too far on one way or the other. They're either spending on everything or they're spending on nothing. And part of being a lifestyle builder is saying, this is what I enjoy, so I'm going to spend money on. But all the areas I don't enjoy, I'm going to cut back on. Yeah, it's not about cheapening your life. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And once we had the conversation, I was actually okay with selling my car Because for me, it was like, okay, we have to put all these things out there. What are my things that are off the table? And then I might have to give a little and compromise in putting some things on the table that I maybe hadn't thought about previously. So we actually sold my really nice car and got just a regular family car. And how do you feel about that today? I'm kind of loving the gas mileage and the really low car payment. (laughs) (laughs) But to some degree, do you miss the luxury? Oh, of course I do. But when I look at our life, I'm like, okay, well, sure, it was nice to have the heated seats and the automatic car starter and have a really big SUV that goes really fast, makes you feel cool. But is any of that, are any of those things making my life that much better? Or is it more about what we can achieve as a family if I'm willing to give that up for some time in the future? Because I can always go back and get that car. It was just... Am I willing to give that away right now so that we can get some other things back? Yeah. Yeah. The the exchange was well worth it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The cost benefit. The other thing I like that you mentioned there, Ariana, 
that I loved in the book too, is don't be afraid to move stuff around. Like once you know what the end goal is, it's kind of like you've created an equation, right? We have all these pieces. I can move one up and one back, like it, which is pretty much what you're talking about is yes. moving one thing up and another back. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even like one of the things we really like to do, you're talking about doing this on paper. We actually get post-it notes out and we physically put them on the wall. And then what ends up happening is Ariana's like, oh, that shouldn't be in three years. That should be in one year. So she moves it up. <laughs> and then I go and I'm like, well, this thing's got to move back. So we naturally kind of put things in the right order and it, it makes it like fun and, and just super easy to see what the priorities are. I thought it sounded passive aggressive. Like you do it when the other one's out of the room. Like Tom comes back in the room and all of a sudden this is on the 90 day goal. All the post-it notes and hope they don't notice. (laughs) She's still getting you back for that money on that high interest credit card, Tom. Always, always. (laughs) That's it. Uh, The book is Lifestyle Builders, Build Your Business, Quit Your Job and Live Your Ideal Lifestyle because you guys don't end there. You just begin there. We got to one really, I think, crucial idea in the book. But Ariana, where do you take this from here? Oh, goodness. So many directions. Really, it's that life piece for us. We talked about the goals planning and the milestones, but the reason we start the book with the life is because that is ultimately what we're trying to help people achieve is what is the life that you are looking to build and all of the other stuff should really align with that. Yeah, because once you have this, you go into, hey, build a business around what you're trying to achieve. And then that actually even makes the business better. Absolutely. You know, the the biggest thing we always tell people is we first want to figure out where we want to go and then we want to figure out the path to get there. And for us, business is a key piece of that. And what really a lot of entrepreneurs do wrong is they put the business first and they don't think about how that impacts their life. So we actually say design the business to support your ideal lifestyle. You probably see a lot of business owners that um, they work for the business instead of the business working for them. Yes. A hundred percent. And that was really a big driver for us. Like we built our first two businesses, not really thinking about other business owners. And when people started asking us questions, like how we could build a business that we didn't have to physically be at, we're like, oh my gosh, we realized that we were doing things so differently than a lot of other business owners. And it was actually enabling a lot of really cool stuff for us. So we're like, what didn't seem like this big miraculous thing for us did seem like it for other business owners. So we just started sharing that information. I'd normally ask where people can get the book, but we already talked about it. you can get it at Barnes and Noble in yeah. in, in, in Rochester, New York. You can, pre- which means you can get the book pretty much everywhere, I would think. Which brings me to your website because you guys also have, I know, a bunch of other tools there available. Yeah, so you can find them at lifestylebuildersbook.com. Really, what we wanted to do was include some of the pieces and parts that you can implement as you're reading the book. So we didn't want this just to be another business book that people read and they're like, oh, well, all that's great information, but now what do I do with it? We included the templates and the worksheets that go along with some of those really essential aspects in each section of the book so that you can then go and download those and use the book and follow along and actually implement on them. Yeah, I love the idea of taking it and implementing it as you go. Because, you know, I mean, you can read a book in a few days. Yeah. But then throw it out and then three years later, you're like, oh, I got nothing. For <laughs> yeah, well, and, and you know, that was actually we put a section at the end called like why you won't follow any of this. <laughs> and because that's exactly what happens. Like, you know, people just consume books, but never take action. It's like, listen, unless you take that action, nothing's going to change. I would be remiss if while well, we have you here for a couple minutes, because I've taken you guys on morning runs with me. The Lifestyle Builders podcast. You guys know nobody listens to the show. Tell us something that's coming up on the show that you haven't told anybody else yet. You know, you can give stuff away here. (laughs) 
we actually do have a really exciting episode coming up in like two weeks, I think. We haven't shared it publicly until the podcast comes out, but we actually talk about what happens when you have an opportunity come up as an entrepreneur that shifts kind of where you are and you take responsibilities back on and work for another company. Oh, wow. That's a whole different tomato. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so it's a little sneak peek, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. So you have to listen to the to the episode to find out. Of course. Lead me on. <laughs> Tom and Ariana, thanks a ton for hanging out with us for a few minutes in your busy day to talk lifestyle builders. I appreciate it. Of course. It was Thank so you, much Joe. fun. Love hanging out in the basement, man. Welcome to the best part of the show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and some good news. I was just upstairs and Gertrude was writing out a note and it had my name on it. It is my lucky day. I have my bow tie ready and my best pair of suspenders and my belt because you can never be too safe with your pants. This is going to be awesome. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Be cool. Be the stud that you are, Doug. Just breathe. Breathe. Woo. Okay. Now. While I wait for my inevitable invitation out on a date with Gertrude, let's ask you today's trivia question. Lots of money is going to be spent on dates tonight in honor of her. So exactly who is Sadie Hawkins? I'll be back with the answer in a moment. It's funny how often we use Skillshare. They became a sponsor of the show back in January. And since then, we've taken so many different classes. You may remember that I took one on photography. We've taken several on design. We took one on uh, Facebook ads. Also just took one on communication. Just a few of the many uses we've had here in the basement with Skillshare. And if you're new to the show, well, let me explain what Skillshare is. It's an online learning community, and there's thousands of amazing classes which cover dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography, like I did, creative writing, been there, done that, design, I did that one, productivity, and more. There's tons of financial planning classes at Skillshare. So if you're looking to dive in deeper on some of these topics, Skillshare is a great place to start. Whether you're returning to a long-time passion project, challenging yourself to get outside your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare has classes for you. I think coming up next, for me personally on Skillshare, I'm fascinated by this idea of clean, elegant design. And I also like retro design, which maybe is why I like Brad Lark's t-shirts for us so much. So I think... That's where I'm headed next. You can join the millions of students like us here in the basement already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for our stackers. You'll get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare is offering Stacky Benjamin's listeners two months unlimited access to thousands of classes for free to sign up. All you have to do is go to Skillshare.com slash SB. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash SB to start your two months now. Skillshare.com slash SB. Welcome back, trivia nerds. And here I have it in my amazingly masculine hands. Oh, they are large and strong. The letter from Gertrude. Let's open it. Uh, she says, hey, Doug, want to go to the dance 
tonight. And the Sizzler, it's on like Donkey Kong, kids. Oh, yeah. Wait till you see these dance moves on the dance floor, because that's where you do that. And might I remind you, she asked me. Quite handy with the ladies I am. Well, since I'm uh, the lucky recipient of Sadie Hawkins' event invitation, let's get you today's answer, shall we? Who is this woman, Sadie Hawkins, who has helped provide me with the night of my dreams tonight? Uh, Of course, uh, if, if you aren't familiar with Sadie Hawkins, it's simply traditional role reversal. Women and girls take the initiative by inviting the man or boy of their choice out on a date. You didn't see this much pre-1937, and neither did I, because I'm definitely not that old. And the date was typically to a dance attended by other bachelors, and they're, uh, in this case, assertive dates. The name, though, what's up with the name? Sadie Hawkins originated in a comic book strip in 1939 from Life magazine. Also, not old enough to read that when it first came out. It proclaimed, this comic strip, that uh, on Sadie Hawkins Day, girls chase boys in 201 colleges. A comic strip! This is a rated G show, people. I don't want to watch a comic strip. Plus, uh, I got to get ready for the dance. Honestly, this sort of thing happens to me almost every year on, like, triple odd years. But it's nice when it happens. So yeah. Sometimes I think that guy thinks he's a comedian. Unemployed one. Absolutely. But you came very close. to get That was a hard trivia question. It was, yeah. I never contemplated that, but I went with uh, one of the witches from the Salem Witch Trial. <laughs> so I was just a bit off. Just swing and a miss. But it is interesting when Sadie Hawkins started in the 1930s, women asking men out on dates didn't happen much. Today, whole different thing. Nobody asked me out on a date, ever. Mrs. OG isn't going to ask you out on a Sadie Hawkins thing tonight? I'm going to ask her about it. Sounds like she should have to do it. Are you going to ask her to ask you out? Yes. <laughs> hey, let's throw out David Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Dates with the misses and uh, more specifically dates with the misses without having children around. And those times are few and far between, my friend. Yeah, at least for the next uh, 15 years for me. <laughs> I was talking with our friend Andy Hill at Marriage, Kids, and Money last night about uh, he and his uh, spouse, Nicole, going out on a date night. He's like, we, whenever you can get one of those, it's amazing. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. Also amazing, by the way, is the real answer to that, which is your loved ones and your time. That's what Haven Life says you value first, which I agree with. It's why they created a modern way to buy quality term life insurance. When you go to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life, you get a free quote. They also have my favorite tool, by the way, to get a quote so you can find out how much insurance you need instead of using some ridiculous rule of thumb. When there's good tools out there, you shouldn't uh, do that. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life to get your quote. Today, we're throwing out the lifeline to Pete. Say hi, Pete. Hey, Joe and OG, I have heard a time or two that Social Security is built on the younger generation paying into the system to fund today's recipients. So I was wondering if the younger generation all got the fire bug, would that be an issue for Social Security? Also, if Social Security is just a numbers game of having more people 
pay into it than people taking out. How does the decrease in birth rate in the U.S. affect this scenario? I guess one thought I had was maybe we should let more immigrants in just so we can put them on the payroll for grandma and grandpa. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Pete. Not a question specifically about Pete's situation, but he wants us to to think about all things Social Security. Clearly, the system is going to have to change, OG. Well, I think that, you know, it's above my pay grade. It's above Pete's pay grade, I think, too. But a couple of pieces of information about Social Security. The quote that everybody hears about the Social Security trust fund is going to run out of money by 2036 or whatever the number is. What that means is, is that starting at that point, based on current projections, that's when we'll start dipping into the big bucket of money. So if you think about it right now, every minute that Social Security has been around, money has been going in and money has been coming out. But more money has been going in than has been coming out every day. And then that money that's there is also gaining money. Right. So it's invested in Treasury. So it's also earning money while it sits there. I would submit to you that if those people back in the 30s when this thing came out would have put the money in the S&P, this wouldn't be an issue. But, you know, what do I know? But those so, days, where were you then, man? Where were yeah, you then? Right. Yeah. Me and FDR, we could have had a little repartee about <laughs> diversified <laughs> index portfolios. That wasn't a thing. So you can imagine money's going in. It's growing. And they're taking money out, but there's more money going in and it's growing faster than the money's going out. But that that curve is changing. At least that's their projection. And the projection is, is that all of a sudden it's going to stop. We're going to stop putting more money in than we're taking out. And eventually we're going to have to start taking money out. And just like your own investment portfolio, there comes a point in time throughout your retirement plan where you're done putting money in and you start taking money out. And that's okay too for a while because the money's got enough money that it's earning interest or earning returns. But eventually that also comes to an end as inflation kicks in. And so what they're projecting is that at some point in time, 2036, that that crest will have happened. And now money's going in, it's growing, and then money comes out. But the money that comes out is more than those other two things combined. And so now we're going to start that backside of that curve where it's going to start decreasing. So people say, oh, Social Security is going to run on money in 2036. Not true. Social Security is going to start the backside of that curve in 2036. I don't know how much money's in there. Trillions of dollars. So it might take a while to get to the completely out of money stage. So sometime between now and then, yeah, something has to happen. It could be something as simple as everybody under the age of 40 doesn't get benefits until age 70. It could be something as simple as instead of having the Social Security maximum tax now be on the first 130000 of your income, it's 200000 or it's unlimited. You know, there's a lot of different proposals that are out there. The problem is anybody who says the words so, as soon as you get the words so out of your mouth in Social Security, if you're a politician, everything is so polarizing these days. We'd all agree that there's such dichotomy in that, you know, there's nobody kind of in the middle uh, talking reasonably that the other side, whichever side presents this, is just going to jump all over that person and say, you're trying to take money away from grandma and grandpa. One of my favorite financial writers of all time, Jane Bryant Quinn, when she was on the show, that was 100% OG of her argument. It was only the political thing. She goes, social yeah. security is not going away. Specific it, Math does not matter because of how brave a politician would have to be to stand up and say, let's get rid of the biggest social program in the United States. 
Oh, I agree. It's definitely not going away. I'm not worried about that at all. I'm worried about the fix. And the fix has to come from somewhere. It's probably going to be just Band-Aids every single year from 2036 until the end of time, just like the budget deficit or just like the, you know, just uh, it's starting to get starting to creep up. You know, the budget hasn't been passed yet. Is the government going to get shut down in December? Yes, it will probably. But nobody can, for fear of losing their job, stand up and say, here's how we're going to fix it. Here's the math associated with fixing it. And uh, and that's really too bad. I still hear people in the industry. There was somebody I was talking to who was in the life insurance business uh, just a couple weeks ago at the airport. And the guy was pontificating about how Social Security was going away. And I I didn't want to get into it. Frankly, didn't really care to be talking to him at all. So (laughs) You're like, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep. But he was diving into that. But there's still people out there peddling and a lot of people thinking that Social Security is going bye-bye. And Well, I think from a planning standpoint, it's very prudent to think about what could be some of the outcomes. Sure. And if you you could do it without it, like take it completely out of the equation, that's the best strategy. Sure. Absolutely. So what are the variables that you could plan for? You know, A, increased taxation between now and retirement. You know, if they raise the tax rate or raise the wage base number, uh, you could plan on the benefit being less than it is presently. You could plan on the benefit uh, starting at a later date than present. So if you're projecting, hey, I can get my Social Security at 67, that's my full retirement age. But maybe you want to project it to start at 72. You know, those are all reasonable planning scenarios that you could build for yourself and say, well, how does this affect? And financial planning isn't about trying to exactly pick what's a precisely going to happen in 25 years from now or 50 years from now, because we don't know. It's about having a plan on the shelf so that when those things do happen, you say, oh, I already planned for that. Let me let me grab that one off the shelf. And what do I, oh, it says that I should do this because you've already thought about it. I'm of the opinion that it's not going away. I'm of the opinion that there will be some changes to it, but we have no idea what those changes look like. With regard to the fire movement, and if the world gets the fire movement, we, we have to be clear, the fire movement's pretty big in our little tiny corner of the world. But with regard, OG, to the population at large, there is far less than 1% of the population that knows what the hell the fire movement is. Oh, gosh, it's got to be even less than that. Absolutely. I mean, over 330 million people in the United States, there's not 3.3 million people who are even aware of the fire movement. No, I don't think so. So this thing that consumes a lot of people's brain cells in our little half acre just ain't going to happen. It just isn't going to happen. I mean, there's not even enough people talking about money. I look at the size of our audience and we're one of the larger shows on personal finance in the universe I can then extrapolate how big Dave Ramsey's show is, who's the bajillion pound gorilla. Even at his number, nobody is listening. Nobody's talking about money. You put all of our shows together, nobody's talking about yeah, it's, any it's of not this. even it's it, I would estimate based on what I know about where all these other people are, I would think this number is probably close to three to 5% of the population in total. It's, it's so tiny, which is, it's funny when people talk about, when people are nitpicking about, well, this financial podcast versus this one, this blog versus this one. I'm like, we just need more people doing it. New people bring a new perspective, bring a new audience to the table. 
the audience is way too small. So unfortunately, Pete, we can't even talk about the fire movement taking over because even though to us, that seems like, wow, this could be great if that happened. It ain't going to happen. We are so yeah. far away from we We can't get people to even pay attention. That's right. Uh, thanks for the question though, Pete. If you've got a question for us, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. It can be a simple one. It can be a hypothetical one like Pete's. It can be whatever you want it to be. And Pete's taking home one of our greatest money show on earth t-shirts. All right. That's going to do it for today. Uh, two quick things before we say goodbye. Uh, number one is thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this show. Here's a review that mom has. I just took this one off of uh, the fridge and I got to return this before she knows that I took it. But uh, five stars from Raja Sekharam, I believe. Best suspense podcast. That got me That got me wondering. Check out this one. I've been listening to this for about an hour for that day when mom walks down to the basement and says, enough of the fun, go clean your room. Never, never. That's the beauty of this show. They keep the suspense going. In between, they have a nice plot with face-offs between Joe and OG. Paula and Lampenzo come in occasionally for some drama. If only they had some comedy. By the way, while I'm not listening to this, I'm stacking Benjamins. Smiley face. Nice job. Doesn't have to even be that creative. Thanks to everybody who's left us a review. Finally, been warning about you about this for some time, but we're now looking at a wait list if you want to bring OG's team in. in and to help with your financial picture. So to get to the top of that wait list for 2020, head to uh, stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. All right, that's going to do it for today, everybody. We've got a bunch of stuff you could have learned on this show. What's up with that? Doug, take it from here. What should we have learned? Yep, sure thing, Joel. Tell everybody what we should have learned today because I got plans tonight. Got to move on. So first, take some advice from Ariana and Tom Sylvester. Want to design your life? Create a goal and build milestones every 90 days towards them like a company would. You'll be happy you did and your shareholders, a.k.a. your family, will all be happy. Second, thinking about taking advantage of Robinhood's inadvertent giveaway? Yeah, that might end up badly. Margin can be really ugly and unlimited margin only makes things the uglierer. Uh, but the big lesson, I forgot to mention, Gertrude not only said I could go to the dance and the sizzler, but I could pay for her and her friends. Friends! Unbelievable! Heaven, I'm in heaven, and I never... Special thanks to Tom and Ariana Sylvester for stopping by the basement. You'll find lifestyle builders wherever books are sold, but you'll find lots of resources from them at TomAndAriana.com. Can't spell that? Check out our show notes page at StackingBenjamins.com. I'm not going to do all the work for you, people. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just jumped the shark. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. 
This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Thanks to Gertrude for helping me realize that paying for everything is role reversal. (laughs) She's right. I haven't paid for my own chicken strips in months. She's been buying everything. (laughs) Oh, well, time to head to the ATM. Hope I get lucky there. I've seen a bunch of movies, but our after show is not just about movies. Uh, it's also from time to time about other things going on. And I, I found this just before we we were going to record. Did you see this thing about this bride who canceled her wedding? I did not. No. Listen to this. Delusional bride cancels wedding. This is written by Lena Foss and uh, Rokas Lorna Vicious. If you thought Godzilla was a scary creature, wait till to see this Bridezilla. She didn't simply cross a line. She went so far past the line, you can't even see the line. The line's a dot to her. Uh, recently, a Reddit user uh, uploaded a screenshot of a Facebook post, and it got over 87,000 upvotes. Not because people liked it. And the contrary, it's a perfect example of, uh, well, let's just go through what it is. So here's the Facebook post, OG. Hi, invitees to the blacked out wedding. Redacted. Yes. Yep. After much reflection and tear-filled conversation with our closest family members, we decided to cancel our upcoming winter wedding. We'll further notify this group and we're in a better place to reschedule. Uh-oh. You ready? We thank each and every one of you for your generous early donations to our money fund. Can you believe we've raised over $30,000? Unbelievable. The hell's a money fund? Don't worry. The money you've donated will not be spent in vain, but rather used toward a honeymoon in the coming months. After we regain financial stability and hold calm in our hearts after a honeymoon, we'll announce a new wedding date and reopen our money fund for any further gifts. Weddings are expensive. We're blessed to have generous family members who gave us these large donations. It'll help offset honeymoon costs and scale to an even better future wedding. We really couldn't have made it this far without you. Please stay tuned. In the meantime, I'll be updating our gift fund registry on Amazon if anybody would like to gift us something to take on a honeymoon. If you have any ideas of where we could go, please PM me or Edward. As mentioned, we'll keep you updated when we're reopening our money fund and have a new wedding date in the works. Don't be too sad. The new wedding's going to be a hit in capital H-I-T. Love you, Pam. I got married wrong. She decides that she's keeping the money. But that- I don't even know what a, a wedding fund is. Like So basically, she set up like a GoFundMe so that we can put on this beautiful wedding. Yep. And all these people gave her money. Her her family gave her 30000 bucks. And she spent a lot of time saying, not only are we going to keep that, but I want more. <laughs> I mean, isn't that, I what you, isn't that what you heard there? I love it. I got to have more. It. That's not the best part. That, that sounds like the best part. And when I read that, my blood's just going, are you kidding me? Really? Because I would give all that money back. 
Here is the comment. Family member of the groom said, is this a effing joke? After raking in 30,000, you decide to be greedy and use it all for yourself. That's the first comment. Then a bride's friend comments on that comment. Probably. Nope. Comments separately. Two minutes later, Pam, what did I tell you about day drinking? In all seriousness, is the wedding really canceled? I've already gotten the time off for December 1st, which is less than a month away. <laughs> Imagine how hard it would be to get time off. Bride's friend number two, a minute later. All right, step the F back. Boy, these people like to use the F word. Uh, step the F back. What? And the bride then says, a minute later, okay, all please calm down. You're making me feel very attacked and hanged up on. You chose to donate in all capitals to me. If I want to use the money, who cares how? I told you the wedding's getting rescheduled, not canceled. Uh, unknown family member. A couple hours later. Please give me a call when you can. <laughs> Bride answers. Love it. Bride answers right after. Why am I calling anyone? I told you in the nicest way possible the wedding will be rescheduled later date. Don't you all better things to do? Then she says a religious word uh, that we won't that we won't do. Unknown family member says, no, I'm wondering what the hell's happening. Everything was fine, even yesterday, and now you're taking a huge sum of money and ditching. Doesn't seem right. A few minutes later, rich uncle in this piece says, you aren't responding to my calls or texts, so I'm just going to tell you. You're going to return my more than generous $12,000 donation on behalf of the blank family in one week. If on 11-13-2019, I don't see the money in cash in my bank account, I'll be seeing you in court. This is unacceptable and is betrayal toward your family members. And then immediately the bride responds, you're putting this on public social media. Have some freaking class. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's my money. Now you gave it to me in all capitals. I'm going through tough times. So now you want it back. That's not how donations work. Can you believe this? This is great. Rich uncle minutes later. My donation was given under the fair assumption that you and Edward would be married on December 1st and that my entire family would attend. We donated early and trusted you to respect that. You broke in your plans and we want our cash back. And then in all capitals, he says, now. Bride immediately says, hey, hey, no reason to get all lawyery on me right now. <laughs> Let's think about this. You will attend my wedding for sure, just on a different date. We'd like to use the money for various undisclosed personal purposes until then. All righty. All righty undisclosed personal preferences all righty all righty seconds later oh my gosh this guess, is great guess what rich uncle says to that oh okay cool <laughs> unbelievably he doesn't say that no okay hashtag shock he writes this that doesn't make me feel any better pam i'll be waiting to get my money asap bride writes back Look, what difference does it make if I use the money fund now versus later? If I was going to, quote, scam, unquote, my family, don't you think I'd be more sneaky? Uncle replies back uh, 40 minutes later. I'd like my money back. And then immediately after that, sorry to make you do this. Then somebody comes in and says, you're trending on Reddit. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, all right. I'm not going to read the rest of this. You can find it. This goes on for 47 hours. We've already taken 26 minutes. Bye. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is 
Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.